hid from him. They blamed each other. It's a huge mess. Then God says, you guys are all cursed now, and I'm going to curse this serpent, and Jesus is going to come, all these things. And then we pick it up in verse 20. Take it away, Maddie. (laughs) The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. <laughs> when I asked Maddie to read, she said, I have, I'm a little nervous. I haven't done that since the Christmas service in eighth grade. <laughs> you did great. Yeah, you still got it, kid. Still got it. Um, let's, let's pray before we um, consider God's word together. Oh, Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being with other people, and thank you for the privilege of hearing the stories and the voices of children. Thank you for the privilege and honor of singing songs, of hearing your word, and Lord, of knowing that even now, so we pray that you would be with us, that you would speak to us now from your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. So there's, uh, there's been recently a, a, a remake of the movie Dune. Has anyone seen the new Dune yet? I'm hearing that it's good. Is it good? Okay, so I'm not going to be disappointed. Because one thing is true, I live my life to avoid disappointment. So whoever said it was good, I'm coming for you later. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've, been, reading the, I've been reading the book. And uh, the, the name of the book in the movie Dune is the name of this planet, Arrakis. And it is a desert planet. And the conditions of the planet Arrakis can't really sustain human life. There's not enough water on Arrakis to sustain human life. So humans must go to extraordinary lengths in order to survive on Arrakis. They have to hoard water, all these things. Um, What this passage is showing us this morning part of what this passage is showing us this morning is that this planet, Earth, the conditions of this planet cannot currently sustain eternal life. God made human beings as eternal beings, but the conditions of this planet cannot sustain eternal life. So, like on Arrakis, we go to extraordinary lengths just to survive. And to understand why, as we walk through this, uh, I want to play with you uh, the game Two Truths and a Lie. Have you ever played Two Truths and a Lie? Okay, yep, Leo has played Two Truths and a Lie. Leo is always there to respond. I love it. Keep doing that, man. Um, and the game, if you've never played, it's a, it's, a, it's a game to get to know people, and you'd say two things that are true about yourself and one thing that's not. And everyone has to guess what the lie is. 
If you play with me, I will always beat you because I have a perfect lie and no one ever believes it. And I'll tell you what it is later, but not in the sermon. Okay. <laughs> um, that's just got to invite me over for my lie. All right. So let's do the lie and then we will talk about the two truths. Okay, so according to the book of Genesis, part of why I love Genesis is because I read it and I'm like, oh, that my experience day to day is like that. The planet Earth that God made at one point could sustain eternal life. It could sustain eternal human life. And the way that happened was God put humans into this garden and in the middle of the garden, just like in the middle of Disney's Animal Kingdom, there is the tree of life. And uh, not a lot of Animal Kingdom fans out there, but we'll keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Animal Kingdom. We'll cheer for that. Um, in the middle of the garden was this tree of life, and it grew fruit that was actually somehow infused with God's life. So that what human beings did was they actually consumed life from God. They ingested this fruit that God's life radiated through, and it sustains eternal life with God. But then this lie happened. This person known as the deceiver or the serpent or the liar shows up on the scene, and he begins to question one of these humans, Eve, and he says, hey, is, is it true that you can't eat of any of these trees? And she's like, no, we can eat any of the trees except for this one tree, the knowledge of knowing good and evil and he tells her you know the reason why God told you not to eat from that tree is because he knows that if you do you will be like him and he doesn't want you to be like him it's interesting because we know that God said he created human beings in his image to be like him but the serpent says look you're not going to die God doesn't you um, and, uh, and part of what I love about the, uh, if you just like roll your eyes at my Disney references, that's fine. <laughs> just start rolling them, you know? Um, and, uh, and what I love about the Toy Story franchise is that each of the stories of these toys, Andy's toys, is, a, is, a, is an identity crisis. Uh, if you remember the first Toy Story, if you've seen it, there's Buzz Lightyear. He's an action figure who believes that he's actually a space ranger. And he will not listen to this strange tales about how he's actually a toy. But the way that Buzz finds shalom and rest and purpose and meaning in his life is when he realizes who he is, that he is Andy's toy. That's what he was made for. And he brings delight to Andy. In, uh, in Toy Story 3, however, the toys end up in a daycare center and they encounter a teddy bear, a strawberry-scented teddy bear, named Lotso Huggin' Bear. And Lotso is, uh, is the sort of deceiver um, character in the Toy Story saga. And his mantra is, no owner means no heartache. We don't need owners. We are our own owners, masters of our own fate. In Lotso's minds, you were, these toys were not created to belong to a little boy or a little girl. They were created to be masters of their own fate. And what happens to the toys in the story is they become untethered from reality. 
They suddenly have no identity, no way to move forward, and they're cast into utter confusion, and they're stuck. Um, the, the serpent, by the way, is like lots of hug and bear, in case you were not making the connection. Um, Eve and Adam in the garden were presented with two very beautiful and alluring trees. They were both beautiful. They both longed, they after, they longed after both of them. The choice before them was a choice of trust. Do you trust that God loves you and has given you every good thing? Or will you trust yourself to make your own happiness? Those are really only the two options before us from a biblical perspective. That we either find our trust and rest in God or we have to do it ourselves. And we've been believing ever since that moment that we have to watch out for ourselves in order to survive. What was lost when Adam and Eve ate from this tree was so many things. The world as we know it um, came into existence because of this act. But what was truly lost was our original vulnerability before God. Because as we saw last week, if you were here, um, these, this couple went from being naked, completely vulnerable and completely intimate and safe, to recognizing their nakedness and hiding and being ashamed of themselves. What was lost was this, this basic vulnerability, that if I, am, if I am exposed, then I must hide, instead of if I'm exposed, then I can just be truly known and safe. Because in the scripture, human vulnerability is tied to knowing God. The only way to actually be truly vulnerable and give of yourself is if you know God intimately. Uh, Dan Allender, who is a therapist and writer, wrote about our fear of being, of being discovered. He said, the fear of being found out is greater than simply losing relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, nor desired, nor pursued by anyone. And that is life on earth. It is impossible to sustain eternal life if you have to hide yourself from God and others. So that's the lie. Here are the truths. God wants you to live. The great desire of God's heart is for you to have eternal life. What we see in the passage is that the way that God responds to Eve and to Adam is that he sends them out of the garden. You see in verse 23, or in verse 22, God says, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. God quarantines humanity from the tree of life. Um, and the reason why is because God is unwilling for humanity to live forever like that. 
God is basically saying, you now know evil. Your hearts are sick. They've believed a lie. I, am, I, I love that the storybook Bible says that God's eyes filled with tears as he sends them out because he says, I will not allow you to live forever like this. Our original vulnerability can never be recovered in the world as it is. And what it means to have eternal life, when you hear eternal life, you likely hear what I hear, which is that you just live forever. You just keep on going and it never stops. Eternal life is actually much, much, much bigger than that. Um, Eternal life, uh, if you just kept on living forever, who would want to live forever in pain or live forever in loneliness or in despair? What eternal life means, according to the scripture, is that you are able to be naked and unashamed before God and others. Completely vulnerable and completely safe. That you don't have to withhold anything of yourself before God and before others. And what God did was he barred the way to the tree of life so that now we still do not have access to it so that his beloved ones would not live forever in hiding and blaming and shame. Because if you can never rest in God, you can never actually live according to the scripture. The tree of life would be a tree of eternal death to us. We would stay like this forever. Um, when I was in college, I had a girlfriend in college, and I, my last semester, I proposed to her, and she said no. It was a great move on her part, just putting that out there. Um, and the reason why was because I did not care for her well, and I did not love her well. And she loved me. But she was unwilling to say yes to that me forever for the rest of her life. And that was born out of her love, not in spite of it. God is unwilling for us to live forever in this state of hiding. And look, since God made you uh, in his image, he has placed eternity in your heart. You have eternity in your heart. You are an eternal being. That means that if you live on this planet like it is currently constructed, you will always feel like you do not have what you need in order to live. It's just facts. This planet cannot sustain eternal life. You will always be searching for safety always be searching for security, and you will always look for it without God. On the planet Arrakis from Dune, the people that live on the planet, they wear these suits called still suits. They're like uh, skin-tight suits that cover their whole body that make it so that none of the moisture from their body is lost. So then their perspiration or their urine, it all gets filtered. It's, It's very odd. But on Arrakis, you can't lose any moisture 
because you can't get any more moisture back in the desert. We are currently doing that. We withhold ourselves because we are afraid that if we put something out, we will never be able to get more. That's why we hold back from honesty from others, with others. Uh, it's why we just focus on getting what we need in order to move on to tomorrow. Or, or, we pretend like we aren't eternal. You know, everything is fine. I'm good. I got what I need. Everything's great. You can do that by being like, none of that God stuff is real, and like, I'm just live my best life and be successful. Or you could just be like, yes, I love God and everything is fine. I have everything that I need. They're both ways of pretending like we aren't eternal. Problem is, every now and then we experience something that's really beautiful. And we have a moment where we get lost in the beauty of it, of music or of something that we see or through a relationship. And the beauty of it makes us feel for a moment as if we can be naked and not afraid. And then we remember that we're eternal or something really tragic happens and it hurts us so deeply that we know that this isn't all that there is. In those moments, you can't pretend. And you don't have to pretend. God is actually calling you to not pretend because that eternal life that you want, God wants eternal life for you too. He actually wants it more than you or I do. And the question of trust remains for us. Does God love me and want me to live? Or do I have to make my own happiness and work hard to survive? And the way that God answers that question for us is at the tree. The Lord Jesus, God himself, ascended a tree of death. And in that tree of death, the cross, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. That tree of death became the tree of life for us at Christ's death. Jesus ascended the tree, and like a seed, he fell to the ground. When he fell to the ground from that cursed, the serpent, lots of hug and bear, he just crushed him. And when that seed fell to the ground through the serpent, it began to spring up as a new tree of life, the source of eternal life, which Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus fell to the ground and died, and in his, his resurrection was raised again to a new tree of life through which you and I can know God. That's why he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And the fruit that we bear in him now is the source of eternal life for others. And the, the last truth is this. God wants you to live, but the reason why God wants you to live is because you are his delight.
This one isn't, this isn't long. You are God's delight. He is delighted in you. You fill him with joy. Adam, you had been created and placed into this garden and your whole purpose was within the garden. To walk with God, to eat from the tree of life, to do stuff with the animals, to cultivate plants, to have this amazing existence. When God put them out of the garden, what did they have to live for? Imagine that's you and you're put out. What is your purpose? What do you have to move toward? Everything that you knew is gone now. Do you, do you ever feel like that? Like, what do I have to keep going for? Where am I going to arrive? What do I push toward? That's life on this planet. They had to leave the garden, but this is where I, I want to end for us so that we can meditate on this. God put them out of the garden, but he still walked with them from the garden. That whole thing about how God walks in the garden and he calls out, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree? God doesn't stay in the garden. He leaves the garden with them because they are still his delight. He walks with them through a world that cannot sustain an eternal being because you are his delight and he bears us through. It takes a lifetime, I think, to begin to know this, to begin. Uh, one way God has shown me how to know this, and you will know this if you have little kids, is by people throwing up in the middle of the night. 90% uh, of vomiting happens in the middle of the night. Just statistics show. Scientists tell us. Um, and when a child throws up in the middle of the night, they don't just throw up on themselves. They throw up on the stuffies. They throw up on the books. They throw up on the wall. They throw up on the blinds. They throw up on the other bed. They throw up into the mattress somehow. It's happened countless times in my home, and I take small comfort from knowing that one day they'll be cleaning up my mess, Lord willing. But many, many times I have gone into a bedroom at night and lifted someone covered in sick onto myself and carried them or walked with them to the bath. And many, many times have I taken a book and cleaned vomit out of it or a mattress and tried all the while collecting all those things onto myself. And you know why? Because they are my delight. And it's going to take a lot more than sick to keep me from delighting in them. Jesus walks with you, taking all of your sick to bear you through a world that cannot sustain an eternal being. And he bears us through because we are his delight.
What we're going to do now is we're going to take opportunity to meditate on that before coming to the table um, with a song. And uh, you can, if you know the words, you can sing along. You can allow it to be sung over you. But uh, let's pray as we move into this time before coming to the table. Jesus, um, we don't have, and yet you are with us, and you sustain us. Lord, and we know, and we're going to hear in the coming weeks about how you're going to take us back to the tree. But for now, Lord Jesus, we need to know that you're with us, whether it's a reminder or for the first time. So, Lord Jesus, would you meet with us, we pray in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.